this year, my wife and I will be married 20 years. 20 years. Crazy, eh? So, 20 years ago seems like a long time, right? And so I remember that, that day, that the ceremony, the day, the party of, and it was a real significant moment. I remember all the, the, um, you know, the planning we put into that and some of the details in that and the decoration and the things that were both on her heart and my heart to kind of see. And, and she had some things that, that, that really, you know, came to light in that ceremony. I had, like, I was able to, to hire this sax, saxophone quartet. That was kind of my dream to see that, you know, in the ceremony. I love that. And so you should have been there. It was awesome. But, um... <laughs> But, you know, when you, when you think about that, like that many, that many years ago or any significant moment in your life, but especially for, for us, there's no clue what you will dis- how you will discover more of yourself over the years and more of your spouse. Because one moment in time is just one moment in time. It's one decision. It's, it's, a, it's a set of vows. It's a, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a significant moment, but it's still one moment in time. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you can look back to one key moment in your life that was significant, maybe it was super positive, like our wedding, and yet it was only the beginning of something. It was only the start of something. So you know that looking back, there was so much more to come from that moment. And when I think about those kind of moments, in, and I kind of multiply it by a hundred, I think of the resurrection of Jesus. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, the risen Lord, and and I often like to say this, and we said it last week, the resurrection didn't just happen, it happens, continues to happen. It's something because of the power of Jesus Christ, or the power of God in that moment to raise Jesus from the dead, it's not something that just happened, but it's something that God wants to continue to do in and through us, amen? And, And when I think about that, I'm humbled looking at that moment in time. But I'm often distraught because it feels like sometimes we just leave it there and let it be there. And there's so much more to that one moment that we haven't even discovered yet. One person writes, I, I forget who, but I, I read it this week, and I, but I put it on the screen. He, he talks about how the resurrection remains a mystery even. It eludes our grasp. It's like looking at a Rembrandt painting, he says, through blinds. You kind of see flashes of insight but you know that there's more to it. Have you ever looked at something through blinds? You know, you're like, you see, and you kind of just see a little bit, but if those would be removed, you'd see everything. And it, that's a little bit about what happens to us when we look back at something as significant as the resurrection. It's like we're looking through blinds, and we only see flashes of it. We know the power of it. We know it's changed us and many other people, but we know that there's more to it. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at two stories, and we're just calling them the resurrection stories because the resurrection didn't just happen. There was, even, there was stories post the resurrection that give us a glimpse of what God wants to continue to do in us. And I hope these next couple of weeks, starting today with this story, that we'll allow the resurrection to sink in a little bit more, that we don't just look back to Easter 2018 or the resurrection happened at this point in history Because you cannot discover Jesus in one moment, right? You cannot discover Jesus at just one point in time. There's so much more to him. And I want to look at Luke chapter 24. And uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to it. We're going to look at some verses through the screen as well. And and Luke is a master storyteller in the Gospels. He's such an amazing Gospel writer. And uh, and he writes with such intention and purpose um, and detail And we have this amazing story from the resurrection day. Jesus has officially already risen from the dead. 
So this has already taken place. The resurrection has already taken place. Luke has already told us that. Luke has already told us that people have found the tomb empty and, and uh, women who have found the tomb empty ran and, you know, this first gospel message even to the disciples that he's risen. And as we, we know that this happened, not everyone knows about it yet. And Luke knows that there's this progressive discovery that takes place. And he, he tells us this through this story, this moment just after the resurrection of these two people who are now leaving Jerusalem because stuff happened. And now they're leaving, and they're going back home towards this town called Emmaus. And there's these two kind of part of the larger group of disciples, not the 11, um, but these larger group of disciples they were a part of. And, and they're, they're walking back to their hometown, to their home close to Emmaus. And uh, I want to read just a, a verse at a time and kind of keep walking with it. They're, as they're walking towards Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So here are these two people really immersed in, in the events of the week and really immersed in the life of Jesus, immersed in who he is, uh, followers of him, excited for who he was and what he was teaching and what he was doing. And the weekend looms large in their minds. I mean, this was a big deal. So you can imagine their conversation on their way back home, two people walking back. And we don't know if it was uh, two men, a man and a woman. We know later that... Um, Luke tells us that it was someone named Cleopas, and we also know that this man was married to, to Mary, so it could have been like a husband and wife walking back and just talking up the weekend together. And as, as the weekend looms large in their mind, the trip is filled with this conversation. And most of it is probably around the death of Jesus because the, the resurrection was still a rumor in their mind, still a rumor at that moment. They heard that people went to the tomb and found it empty, but in these two people's minds, it's still a rumor. It's still uncertain if this is really true. They know that, these, that the women ran back to the disciples, but they're not certain if this is really true. So this is a, a lot of kind of confusion in their minds. Jesus, who they loved and followed, has died. And now there's these rumors that he resurrected from the dead, but they have not seen him and don't know this for sure. If we continue on with the story, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, check this out, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So imagine you're going on a trip, two people, and this maybe happens, someone just kind of comes along beside you. It doesn't happen as much in our modern world, but we wish it would. We wish people would just kind of talk, right? So here they're walking, and this, this guy comes up and starts walking with them, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, you want to join us? You want to kind of keep walking with us on the trip? And so here it is. They don't know that it's Jesus at the moment. They, they, haven't, they don't recognize that it's him, but Jesus shows up, not recognized, just this guy walking up beside them. And I think, like, how convenient Jesus just walks up like that, you know? And it's kind of strange. Now, we know that Jesus shows up with the disciples later. He walks through. He walks through a wall, literally. I mean, it's his resurrected body. I don't know. Is he at two places at once? Did he get there really fast? We don't know all that stuff. But Jesus shows up and joins their walk and their conversation in this moment. And then Jesus asks in the next part of this story, he says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? What are you guys talking about? What are you, what are you doing? What, what's wrong, you know? And Luke tells us that when Jesus asked this question, they, they stood still and their faces were downcast. They stood still and their faces 
were downcast. It's like they're taking this walk along the road. This person comes up. He hears what they're talking about. He asks them what they're talking about. Then they start to open up a little bit to this person. And they just stop and they're like, okay, trip is on pause. And you can see in their faces how downcast they are. The walk slows down long enough for a pause and the reality of Jesus' death and crucifixion and the confusion of these rumors begin to set, even, set in even more. And they just stand still. And their face shows that they're extremely sad. They're extremely distraught. Cleopas, who's one of them, just kind of surprisingly kicks in with a question to Jesus. It's like, are, dude, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened in the last few days? Like, what's, what's wrong? How do you not know what happened in the last few days? How do you know what's not happened here? And Jesus plays like dumb at the moment. What things? What are you talking about? What happened in the last few days? And then they, they, they share what they, kind of the summary of what they know so far. I want to read it all together. And, and I love how it kind of gets summarized together. About, and then they respond. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it was just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. So they don't know fully. They're in the middle of this confusion. They're in the middle of this rumor. They're in the middle of of what's going on. But you can hear from how they tell the story that their hopes are crushed because who they believed in Jesus was killed, was crucified. What they hoped Jesus would have done, what they hoped who he was meant to be, that hope was gone. That hope was crushed because Rome took him out. And the resurrection is still a far-fetched rumor in their minds. Jesus died, so their hope died. See, crucifixion for these two with a Jewish background was the idea that they're still going to be in exile. They're still going to be under Roman oppression. They're still going to feel like they're not um, uh, living in God's blessing. They're still going to feel as though Israel's sin has remained unforgiven. That's what they feel. They, they, they're also feeling like, well, if God's not doing something, then this whole world is being ruled by pagans. In their minds, they would say pagans, those who don't know God or don't fear God. Redemption never happened. N.T. Wright describes these kind of people or disciples feeling like it's like they're traveling up a road leading to freedom, but then they hit this dead end. They're, they're traveling up this road, this path, following Jesus. They know it's going to lead somewhere amazing, and then it hits a dead end. We know what that feels like when we're driving, right? Like when we're, we know we're meant to go somewhere and then it's like, what just happened? Why did I, how did I hit this dead end? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Where am I going to turn? We know what that feels like in life where we feel this next step or what we're following or what we're doing. We think it's going to lead to something good and then this, just this dead stop is like it just stops everything, stops all our plans, all our hopes. It feels like a dead end. And that's what these disciples feel like. And Jesus interrupts their pity party. He interrupts their sad moment. He interrupts their their downcasted faces. Aren't you glad for people like that? 
Aren't you glad when you're in a pity party and people like interrupt you and, and shake you and say, wait a second, there's something better, something hopeful. And so Jesus interrupts them. Verse 25 and 26, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? In other words, like, don't you know that that the theme and the storyline has always been that the Messiah would suffer, that, that the path to victory and the path to God's salvation was through the suffering of the Messiah? Don't you know that? Really, Jesus is kind of saying, like, haven't you, didn't you notice the storyline in the prophets? Didn't you notice that? And then Jesus, it says, Luke tells us, he begins to teach them, starting with Moses, continues through the prophets, probably inserts some psalms here and there, and through the whole story of what we call the Old Testament, through that narrative, Jesus begins to teach these two people that all Scripture points to to the Messiah, and that the Messiah, Jesus, is the interpretive key to all Scripture. And so what a beautiful moment. I mean, imagine, like, they still don't know it's Jesus yet, but imagine this moment where this person just leads them to this at least intellectual revelation at the moment. Don't, didn't you get this? And then fills all the gaps for them. Such a powerful moment. But as amazing as this teaching moment is, it still wasn't the climax of the conversation. It still wasn't the climax of the moment. And I know some of you who are more kind of intellectual or knowledge seekers, you're like, well, that's it for me. If you can just prove to me everything, if I can just find a chapter and verse, that is like spiritual euphoria for me. Right? And that's, but that's not what happens here. And, and I know some of us kind of long for that. You know, if you can just show me every page, every verse, and kind of like bring all that together, that's so good for me. But that's not the fullest explanation that this story tells us about. In, chapter, in verse 28 to 32, something beautiful happens. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he, were, he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And look, look what happens next. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it. He began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? and open the scriptures. Man, here's this, from this random guy who joins them on the walk to this, I can't, to this person who now is like a teacher guy who's teaching them to now he's a guest sitting at my table guy in the story and something beautiful and revelation, revolutionary happens. And it's at the table where the revela- this revelation opens up as, as Jesus takes the bread and breaks the bread and gives thanks for the bread. Their eyes are opened in that moment and they recognize who he is. It's like this, imagine them, I could imagine they're like, oh, the women were right. They really did see this empty tomb. It really was that Jesus rose from the dead. They were right. They ran all the way to the other disciples. They were right. I, we should have believed them. I, I can imagine in that moment they're just thinking this big thing. Like, why did we miss this? Why did we miss this? And immediately they run back to Jerusalem. They run back to Jerusalem to meet the other disciples. And they tell them, it's true he's risen. It's true he's risen. It really did happen. 
Now it becomes so real for them, and they run back to Jerusalem. I mean, let's just pause for a second. What a turn of events. What a, what a story that Luke tells us post the resurrection. There's New Testament scholars that would say that this is like one of Luke's masterful stories. One of Luke's best stories. Or When I say story, I don't mean that it's, he made it up. I mean one of his best tellings of the events of Jesus. And, and one of the best ways that he's put also pieces of a story together. Sometimes he's told stories like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan, and it, it, he, 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 he shares a point, and people look at those two stories and like, wow, that was amazing writing right there. But here's this story, this metaphor, this experience of, com- experience of coming to the discovery of Jesus. And some people kind of analyze this stuff. And, and I, I was reading this week, and I found kind of this... Um, this, not a chart, but I guess a way to look at it, and I want to put it on the screen and, and show you a little bit, kind of how we can compare the story, if you can look at this. Now, some of you are looking at this and are, are just like, you're like, oh my gosh, is this great? I love it in English. Why, why, like, Dave, why are you bringing me through this? And there's all kinds of horrible feelings coming to you right now. I understand. But once parent 33 and 37 come out, I'll, I'll show you this. But here's, here, that wasn't part of the story. But... Um, Here's the cool thing. As, as you look at the story and actually start to, like, how did Luke put this together? How did he bring the, 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 these real historical accounts together? And you can see something amazing. The two, right from the top and the bottom, the two disciples flee Jerusalem at the beginning of the story, and they go back to Jerusalem at the end of the story. Secondly, their walk, their walk is filled, of, filled with uncertainty. Their walk is filled with uncertainty, and that's what categorizes their walk. That's how you would label that walk. It was a, lot, a walk of uncertainty. But as they go back to Jerusalem, their walk is filled with joy and certainty in this response to what they just discovered. The third line at the top, Jesus joins them in their walk, but then Jesus vanishes from their sight later on. As you continue to the fourth line, these two people do not recognize Jesus, but then they recognize him later on. It's amazing. And then later on, their faces are sad, but here their, their eyes are full of faith and they're opened. And I love how here the two disciples talk to Jesus, but over here the disciples share the bread with Jesus. It's not just about talking, it's about an experience. It's about a, an, an interchange of God's very own presence. And right here in the moment is the kind of the climactic moment. They arrive at Emmaus. But I want you to see something. As the trajectory from the top to the middle is like, what's going to happen with this story? What's going to take place in this story? But at the climax, when they arrive at Emmaus and Jesus sits down with them, you just see this trajectory back to what God had in store for them. This moment of breaking bread, this moment of revelation, this moment of recognition, this miraculous moment of Jesus' resurrected body, the outcome of joy and certainty, and this run back to where everything was really taking place where the resurrection took place. And just, let's just think about this for a second. Where was the climactic moment in this story? Where was the climactic moment in this story? Where was the key moment? Where did the key moment of revelation take place? Where did it happen? Were they walking? Where, they, where were they? They were sitting at a table. The moment, this climactic moment of revelation happens right at the table, when they invite Jesus in and they sit around the table and then Jesus takes the bread and breaks it with them. There's so much we can learn from this story, but I want us to consider just kind of one 
big idea today is if we want to see Jesus, we must learn to sit with Jesus. If we want to see Jesus and experience Jesus and know Jesus deeply, we must learn to sit with Jesus. Think about what they do. Think about how Luke also highlights these moments. The day is coming to an end. Luke says the day is almost over. The day's almost over. And it's almost like these two points in, in time, like, like the day of the Messiah on earth is almost over, but this new creation is beginning. This day's almost over, and these two people, what do they, what do they tell Jesus? They urge him, would you please come in? They urged him. Come and stay with us. Come and sit with us. Come and spend time with us. So in this moment, what leads to this climactic moment is these two people telling Jesus, welcome. Welcome. Come in. Come and sit with us. Come and be with us. And I think it's that metaphor of welcome, of of staying, that Luke uses to urge us to do the same thing. That we don't just kind of pass by things or let a moment be a moment and then forget about it. But this, I think this metaphor of the, these disciples saying, would you come? And they don't even know who he is yet, but would you come and sit with us? Would you come and be with us? And, and I love, I think Luke is using this metaphor to say, that should be our posture. Jesus, would you come and sit with us? And there's two ideas of sitting with Jesus and seeing Jesus. This first one, what it means to sit with Jesus. And, and, and I think I just want to land on this for a moment. This idea of sitting with Jesus, the resurrection just happened. This cosmic event just, take, just took place. This huge thing. This, for them, Jesus rises from the grave. But what's so important here? What's, what's Luke getting at? What's this post-resurrection story leading us to and calling us to? It's calling us to sit with Jesus, to learn how to sit with Jesus to learn how to pursue Christ. It's not just knowing him, but it's sitting with him and growing in intimacy and relationship and revelation. And there's these clues to how this happens because I know in our fast-paced life and in our schedules and, and not having too much time and, and we're like, how can I do all this stuff? How can I even take time? How can I grow in my faith? How can I ever take time to read the scriptures? How can I learn? How can I even take time to come to church on a, on a Sunday? And thankfully, we're here together for, for that very reason. But here are these clues to sitting with Jesus that I think this story leads us to and pushes us to. And the first one is that we're, if we want to sit with Jesus, we have to slow down. We have to slow down. Notice that their moment with Jesus didn't, this, the climactic moment with Jesus didn't just happen while they were walking. It happened when they said, would you stay with us? And would you sit at my table? And they slowed down and sat around the table. It wasn't like a TV dinner type of conversation. It was like, let's pause. Let's slow down. And so this, these key moments, even the whole narrative, walking and talking and sitting and a table and bread, it just has this message of slow down. If you want to sit with Jesus, learn to slow down. Our culture is going to take us in 10 different directions. Our pursuit and ambitions are going to make our life faster. The feelings that we have in comparison to other people on our street or in our networks is going to force us to get busier and all this kind of stuff. But here's this story saying, if you really want to experience the resurrected Jesus, slow down. Slow down. 
This next, this next part of how we can sit with Jesus is kind of a prelude to it, but, it, but we see it there. It's the scripture. It's like the path to revelation that as, they, as, as they're walking with Jesus, what does Jesus do? He goes back to Moses. He goes back to the prophets. He goes back to the Psalms. He goes back to the, the storyline of scripture, and he brings them into it. And they, they recognize that as Jesus was talking, their hearts were burning. Something was happening as he unpacked the scripture for them, as he, as he unpacked the story for them, and it was pointing them to Jesus. And so often, well, people will ask me, can I not grow in a relationship with Christ without reading the Bible? Like, do I have to read the Bible? Like, do I have to read the scriptures? I'm not a reader. I don't, you know. And I, and I often say, like, God loves you so much. He doesn't love readers and, 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 not, and, and not like, love, like non-readers. Like God loves all people, whether you read or not. God loves, you know, all people regardless. But there's something so vital about the scriptures. Whether you read a ton of it or a little bit of it or how you immerse yourself in it, where God does something beautiful. Just this week, I was really feeling um, really overwhelmed about a few things going on. In, in, in my life and just some of the um, kind of uh, demands and different things going on. And I was like, I, I often will sit and just slow down with the scriptures. And for me, it, it often means like trying to be quiet and then um, just taking some time with whatever scripture I'm walking through. And this, this right now, it's just slowly through the book of Mark. And um, I don't know why that day it just happened. It doesn't happen every day where I feel like God just really gets my attention. But here I'm reading just a story where Jesus is, is doing ministry and he literally tells his disciples, hey, we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. Come away with me by yourselves. And that line just jumped out at me. Come away with me by yourselves. Just come with me. Now, interestingly enough, I got really excited. I'm like, oh, God, you're telling me to come away with you. Just nothing bad's going to happen. It's going to be a, just a perfect day. And then as soon as they get to the other side, the crowds show up and they're hungry and thirsty and people need healing. And it says that Jesus has compassion on them. And he's like, let's feed these people. And the disciples are like, we have no money. It would take us a year and a half of salary. And Jesus is like, what do we have? And there's the, you know, the loaves and the fish. And Jesus multiplies them. And in this moment where initially Jesus is like, come away with me by yourselves and let's rest. It's like rest is so vital. But then in, out of that rest, something happens. In that moment, there was a need. And God empowered them, even though they were tired. God empowered them. God enabled them. God provided for that moment where 5,000 people are, are, are like fed. Like the intention was, I just, I need to rest. But in that moment, they served and God enabled them. And then after all that's done, what does Jesus do? It says Jesus went away by himself to pray. So I just, I, that wasn't more than like 11 verses, I think. And it just hit me. It's like, do I have a pattern of rest and ministry and prayer and rest and ministry and prayer? And why am I feeling overwhelmed? And I just, it was this moment where the scriptures just spoke to me so strongly and literally filled me. I felt like my day had this start to it that I'm like, okay, God, you have this. Rest, minister, pray. And if you take one of those out, either life is boring if you take one of those out because you want to do stuff. If you take the rest and prayer out, the rest out, you're like fatigued. If you take the prayer out, you're like lack power. It's like rest, minister, pray. And it was this moment where it was just a reminder. There's so much power when you slow down with the scriptures. And it doesn't matter how much you read or 
how long you read, but that you ingest Scripture. But here's this other piece that was the real climactic moment in the story. It's supper. So it's like, slow down. Scriptures are vital. But then it's this moment of having supper. And I don't know why. Here it is. I mean, we know why, because there was the Last Supper. But this revelation happened over bread. I'm Italian. I'm glad about that. I love bread. So I was just talking with someone with a Latin background before, and I'm like, hey, you know, like our culture is like 90% of what we eat is bread, you know? So, but, um, so I'm glad revelation comes over bread. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. But, here, but here's the thing. In this moment, revel, this revelation of Jesus happens over bread. Two times uh, Luke reminds us that when Jesus broke the bread with them, they recognized him. Not only when it happened, but then when they run back to the disciples, what do they tell the disciples? Guys, while we were, while we were eating bread... Well, we broke bread. We recognized him. Luke tells us two times, he's making this point, that the disciples recognized Jesus when they broke bread. And Luke chapter 2, the same writer, Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, you know, post the resurrection, day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes, this church starts to grow. What are the one one of the four main things the church commits to? Breaking bread together. Here Luke brings us in again, breaking bread together. This moment, this common meal where we remember, where we connect, where, where we celebrate this pattern, this practice of breaking bread. And I thought, you know what? Do we underestimate the significance of communion? Do we underestimate the significance when we as a church community once a month, the first Sunday of the month, take bread and break it as a reminder and a practice of what Jesus did with his disciples in the Last Supper? Do we... Um, Just underestimate the power of that moment when we break bread and pour wine, that this meal continues to actually reveal Jesus to us. It's so beautiful, and sometimes I think we forget that Jesus longs for us to know him, and there's a time, this moment where we actually break bread remembering his body's been broken, pour wine, remember that his blood's been poured out, that that this meal actually reveals Christ to us. I'm not saying that something like, something, um, you know, what do I want to say, like chemical or physical or, you know, happens in that moment with the wine and the bread, but I'm saying that we read this story, they knew who Jesus was at the moment they sat down for supper and he broke bread with them. And it's so fascinating that, that this is the climax and not the teaching. Because if you ask any pastor, anybody who goes to seminary, any church, they're like, what's the most important thing you got to do for people to know Jesus? They're like, preach, 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 right? Preach the word, teach the word, and it's so vital. But isn't it interesting that in this story, that when Jesus himself taught them, they knew something was happening, but when they broke bread, they recognized who he was? There was something so beautiful in that breaking of bread that we should look forward to and consider and really value. Because here's the thing. Sometimes our knowledge is not the key to fuller revelation. Intimacy is. Sometimes we think the more we know, and man, I want Westside, and I want us to be thinkers. I want us to use our minds when we, when we read Scripture, when we, when we unpack our faith. We do not check our minds at the door. That's not what we're talking about. But sometimes we think simply knowledge is the key to revelation. And this story says if you want to really know the resurrected Jesus, intimacy will bring you deeper. Jesus taught them first, but sitting with him, this revelation came. So scripture might warm our hearts and lead us and even bring conviction to us, but let me tell you, repentance and reception, 
that transforms our hearts. There's many people who can tell you the exact doctrine in this book. But if they haven't received and repented, it does not lead towards transformation. And so my heart is like, let's learn, let's grow. But there's something in the story that says, there's so, you, if you really want to go deeper, receive who Jesus is and repent and allow transformation to take place. And this receiving leads to revealing. This receiving, I'm going to ask the team to come up as we come to a close and wrap this up this morning. But here's this beautiful thing. When we start to sit with Jesus, then we will see Jesus, right? They, if, and I said it before, if you want to see Jesus, learn to sit with Jesus. When we sit with Jesus, we will begin to see Jesus. See, seeing Jesus or sitting with Jesus led them to see him. But how did they see him? Luke wants us to know this. He wants us to know this because here's the beauty of it. And this is so key because he wants us to see Jesus in the same way. What happens, right? The disciples say, come in, come and eat. Come hang out at my table, right? So Jesus comes and hangs out at the table. Who's the host at that point? Who's the host? If Jesus comes to my table, who's the host? I'm the host, right? So it's like, hey, Jesus, come, hang out at my table. They're sitting down, they're having this meal. Who takes the bread? Jesus takes the bread. He took the bread. He broke the bread. He gave thanks for the bread. He passed out the bread. Isn't that an amazing shift that takes place? These people become, as dis- even as disciples, they're like, they're inviting Jesus in. They don't know who he is at the moment. We get that. But they are the hosts at the beginning. They are in- they're longing for something. They're inviting something, this metaphor of inviting Jesus in. But immediately, what happens? Jesus becomes the host. The guest becomes the host. And this is so important for us to recognize that Jesus moves from guest to host. He moves from sitting there as an invited guest to taking the lead in that moment. And if we, if we long for a true life with Christ, if we long for a full life with Christ, this is so important. Jesus cannot just remain the guest in our life. We must allow him to become the host and take the lead in our lives. And I wrote this line so we could remember it and and think about it. Don't just let Jesus in. Let Jesus lead. Don't just let Jesus into your life. Let him lead your life. That is the transition. That's the shift that takes place. And this beautiful language that we talk about sometimes that is not necessarily necessarily false, but we say, you know, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? And someone says, yes, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. That's, that's, you're, you're saying, Jesus, will you be a guest in my life? That's a good start, but that's not the finish. The, the transition is, when are you going to let Jesus be the host? When are you going to step into what he has for you? Because it's so easy. It's so easy for us to say, Jesus, be the guest. Will you accept Jesus into my heart? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and it's like we're controlling the situation. We're controlling the environment. We're controlling the life. We're controlling the decisions. We're controlling everything. But we're grateful because Jesus is the guest and I've got assurance because now that he's the guest, I've got eternity. But this story, I think Luke is pushing us, is like, you want to you really experience Jesus post-resurrection? Don't just let him in. Let him lead. Don't just let him in. Let him lead. Don't just let him in. Let him lead. And let become consumed with him. Let him lead. 
and take control of your life. And so, so we come to a close this morning. I want to encourage you this week to take time to sit with Jesus. To sit with Jesus. Why? So we can see Jesus. And um, I encourage you to carve out even 10 minutes a day as a way for you to sit with Jesus. I'm not telling you that every day that that happens, you're going to feel like the heavens shake. (laughs) But I can tell you that over time, there's going to be moments where you're like, God, you're really doing something in me. And if you take 10 minutes and you you take the first uh, minute or two just to be silent before the Lord, remember, slow down. Just take the, the, the posture of the story. Slow down enough. Just pause be silent for two minutes. If you've got to put a timer on your phone and put it on the other side of the table and there's your silence and your silence for two minutes, let it ring. And then you shift and whatever you're reading that day, whether you're in a gospel or a psalm or um, you're reading through something and then you just take, even if it's five or six minutes and you just read through that and allow that to be the content for how God might speak to you. And then when you pause, you take another two minutes and say, Lord, what do you want to impress on my heart? And be silent for another two minutes. That's just 10 minutes. That's just 10 minutes. And in this whole time you're doing that, you're, you're welcoming the Holy Spirit to speak. You're welcoming the Holy Spirit to act and to work. And so uh, I'm going to invite us in this moment just to even end our gathering, inviting Jesus in, but with the purpose to letting him lead. Amen? Let's do that. Let's stand as we... Um, the team's going to lead us in this song. And I encourage you, if if your heart's there, your your heart's saying, I want to sit with Jesus because I want to see Jesus. Maybe you might need to confess and say, Jesus, I have let let you in for the last 20 years, but I've hardly let you lead. And maybe that's the moment, this moment you got to just admit that. Say, I want you to lead. I want you to take over. So before we pray, I just let us um, reflect on that, us respond to God in this moment through this song and in your own prayers, and then I'll come up and we'll pray together. Bless you. We're going to pray right in this moment, and even as I'm praying, I'm going to ask some that have been um, just ready to pray for people after our gathering to come and be ready at the front when we close. If you need prayer, uh, even as we wrap up today, feel free to come, and uh, I think if Nathan and Stephanie are here, they can come as well, and Mike and others. Uh, Jonathan and Victoria, maybe just to be ready to pray for anybody that longs to be prayed for today. Let me pray for you as we we, uh, come to a close and uh, bring ourselves to God in this moment. God, we thank you. We love you. God, I'm so grateful for this post-resurrection event. This reminds us that the resurrection did not only happen, but that you long for us to grow in the power of resurrection in in our relationship with Christ. God, for some today that might feel like they are like leaving Jerusalem, that they are feeling downcast, that they are feeling like they need to be still in, in a grieving moment or maybe just a moment that's overwhelming them, God. And God, I pray that they would be able to, even when they don't recognize it, like these two didn't, that, that somehow, God, you would help them know that you are with them, that you are coming alongside them, that you are walking alongside them, that you are with them in every moment. God, sometimes we don't recognize that you are close, but you are close. And may we trust this. And God, may this post-resurrection story remind us of this. And God, we long, Lord, to know you and to know all about you, but we also, Lord, long for deep revelation of you and to grow intimately with you, God, as these two experienced as bread was broken. 
Lord, give us the desire and if needed, the discipline. God, to sit with Christ this week. Lord, even starting this evening. Lord, may we carve out the time, not if we long to see you, to sit with you. And God, for some of us even right now that have been confessing that we've only uh, allowed you to come in but haven't allowed you to lead. We've let you in, but we really haven't let you lead. God, we forgive us, God, for seeing such a small view of the gospel and a small view of what you have in store for us. God, expand our heart and our vision and to be able to trust the authority of Christ to lead us. We call him Lord and Savior. God, we pray this in Christ's name. We just, and we pray and trust for fruit that will come as we grow in you and sit with you and allow you to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.